chapter four of the life of washington volume two by john marshall this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter four transactions in virginia action at great bridge norfolk evacuated burnt transactions in north carolina action at moore's creek bridge invasion of south carolina british fleet repulsed at fort moultrie transactions in new york measures leading to independence independence declared seventeen seventy five july transactions in virginia whilst the war was carried on thus vigorously in the north the southern colonies were not entirely unemployed the convention of virginia determined to raise two regiments of regular troops for one year and to enlist a part of the militia as minutemen october lord dunmore the governor of the colony who was joined by the most active of the disaffected and by a number of slaves whom he had encouraged to run away from their masters was collecting a naval force which threatened to be extremely troublesome in a country so intersected with large navigable rivers as the colony of virginia with this force he carried on a slight predatory war and at length attempted to burn the town of hampton the inhabitants having received intimation of his design gave notice of it to the commanding officer at williamsburg where some regulars and minute-men were stationed two companies were dispatched to their assistance who arrived just before the assault was made and obliged the assailants to retreat with some loss to their vessels november seventh in consequence of this repulse his lordship proclaimed martial law summoned all persons capable of bearing arms to repair to the royal standard or be considered as traitors and offered freedom to all indented servants and slaves who should join him this proclamation made some impression about norfolk where the governor collected such a force of the disaffected and negroes as gave him an entire ascendancy in that part of the colony intelligence of these transactions being received at williamsburg a regiment of regulars and about two hundred minute-men were ordered down under the command of colonel woodford for the defence of the inhabitants hearing of their approach lord dunmore took a well-chosen position on the north side of elizabeth river at the great bridge where it was necessary for the provincials to cross in order to reach norfolk at which place he had established himself in some force here he erected a small fort on a piece of firm ground surrounded by a marsh which was accessible on either side only by a long causeway colonel woodford encamped within cannon-shot of this post in a small village at the south end of the causeway across which just at its termination he constructed a breastwork but being without artillery was unable to make any attempt on the fort december action at the great bridge in this position both parties continued for a few days when lord dunmore ordered captain fordyce the commanding officer at the great bridge though inferior in numbers to storm the works of the provincials between daybreak and sunrise this officer at the head of about sixty grenadiers of the fourteenth regiment who led the column advanced along the causeway with fixed bayonets against the breastwork the alarm was immediately given and as is the practice with raw troops the bravest rushed to the works where regardless of order they kept up a heavy fire on the front of the british column captain fordyce though received so warmly in front and taken in flank by a party posted on a small eminence on his right marched up with great intrepidity until he fell dead within a few steps of the breastwork the column immediately broke and retreated but being covered by the artillery of the fort was not pursued in this ill-judged attack every grenadier is said to have been killed or wounded 
while the americans did not lose a single man norfolk evacuated the following night the fort was evacuated the provincial troops proceeded to norfolk under the command of colonel howe of north carolina and lord dunmore took refuge on board his vessels seventeen seventy six january and burnt after taking possession of the town the american soldiers frequently amused themselves by firing into the vessels in the harbour from the buildings near the water irritated by this lord dunmore determined to destroy the houses immediately on the shore and on the night of the first of january under cover of a heavy cannonade landed a body of troops and set fire to a number of houses near the river the provincials who entertained strong prejudices against this station saw the flames spread from house to house without making any attempt to extinguish them after the fire had continued several weeks in which time it had consumed about four-fifths of the town colonel howe who had waited on the convention to urge the necessity of destroying the place returned with orders to burn the remaining houses which were carried into immediate execution february thus was destroyed the most populous and flourishing town in virginia its destruction was one of those ill-judged measures of which the consequences are felt long after the motives are forgotten after norfolk was laid in ashes lord dunmore continued a predatory war on the rivers burning houses and robbing plantations which served only to distress a few individuals and to increase the detestation in which he was held through the country at length his wretched followers wearied with their miserable condition were sent to florida as the war became more serious the convention deemed it necessary to increase the number of regular regiments from two to nine which were afterwards taken into the continental service transactions in north carolina in north carolina governor martin though obliged to take refuge on board a ship of war in cape fear river indulged the hope of being able to reduce that colony a body of ignorant and disorderly men on the western frontier styling themselves regulators had attempted by arms some time before the existing war to control and stop the administration of justice after failing in this attempt they became as hostile to the colonial as they had been to the royal government the province also contained many families who had lately emigrated from the highlands of scotland and who retaining their attachment to the place of their nativity transferred it to the government under which they had been bred from the union of these parties governor martin entertained sanguine hopes of making a successful struggle for north carolina his confidence was increased by the assurances he had received that a considerable land and naval armament was destined for the southern colonies to prepare for cooperating with this force should it arrive or in any event to make an effort to give the ascendancy in north carolina to the royal cause he sent several commissioners to the leaders of the highlanders for raising and commanding regiments and granted one to a mr macdonald their chief to act as their general he also sent them a proclamation to be used on a proper occasion commanding all persons on their allegiance to repair to the royal standard this was erected by general macdonald at cross creek about the middle of february and nearly fifteen hundred men arranged themselves under it fifteenth upon the first advice that the loyalists were assembling brigadier-general moore marched at the head of a provincial regiment with such militia as he could suddenly collect and some pieces of cannon and took a strong position within a few miles of them twentieth general macdonald soon approached and sent a letter to moore enclosing the governor's proclamation and recommending to him and his party to join the king's standard by a given hour the next day the negotiation was protracted by moore in the hope that the numerous bodies of militia who were advancing to join him would soon enable him to surround his adversary macdonald at length perceived his danger and suddenly decamping endeavoured by forced marches to extricate himself from it and join governor martin and lord william campbell 
who were encouraged to commence active operations by the arrival of general clinton in the colony action at moore's creek bridge the provincial parties however were so alert in every part of the country that he found himself under the necessity of engaging colonels caswell and lillington who with about one thousand minutemen and militia had entrenched themselves directly in his front at a place called moore's creek bridge the royalists were greatly superior in number but were under the disadvantage of being compelled to cross the bridge the planks of which were partly taken up in the face of the entrenchments occupied by the provincials they commenced the attack however with great spirit but colonel macleod who commanded them in consequence of the indisposition of macdonald and several others of their bravest officers and men having fallen in the first onset their courage deserted them and they fled in great disorder leaving behind them their general and several others of their leaders who fell into the hands of the provincials this victory was of eminent service to the american cause in north carolina it broke the spirits of a great body of men who would have constituted a formidable reinforcement to an invading army increased the confidence of the provincials in themselves and attached to them the timid and wavering who form a large portion of every community general clinton who was to command in the south had left boston with a force too inconsiderable to attempt anything until he should be reinforced by the troops expected from europe after parting with governor tryon in new york he had proceeded to virginia where he passed a few days with lord dunmore but finding himself too weak to effect anything in that province he repaired to north carolina and remained with governor martin until the arrival of sir peter parker fortunately for the province the unsuccessful insurrection of macdonald had previously broken the strength and spirits of the loyalists and deprived them of their most active chiefs in consequence of which the operations which had been meditated against north carolina were deferred clinton continued in cape fear until near the end of may when hearing nothing certain from general howe he determined to make an attempt on the capital of south carolina may early in the month of april a letter from the secretary of state to mr eden the royal governor of maryland disclosing the designs of administration against the southern colonies was intercepted in the chesapeake and thus south carolina became apprised of the danger which threatened its metropolis mr rutledge a gentleman of vigor and talents who had been chosen president of that province on the dissolution of the regal government adopted the most energetic means for placing it in a posture of defence june invasion of south carolina in the beginning of june the british fleet came to anchor off the harbor of charleston the bar was crossed with some difficulty after which it was determined to commence operations by silencing a fort on sullivan's island during the interval between passing the bar and attacking the fort the continental troops of virginia and north carolina arrived in charleston and the american force amounted to between five and six thousand men of whom two thousand five hundred were regulars this army was commanded by general lee whose fortune it had been to meet general clinton at new york in virginia and in north carolina viewing with a military eye the situation of the post entrusted to his care lee was disinclined to hazard his army by engaging it deeply in the defense of the town but the solicitude of the south carolinians to preserve their capital aided by his confidence and his own vigilance prevailed over a caution which was thought extreme and determined him to attempt to maintain the place two regular regiments of south carolina commanded by colonels gadsden and moultrie garrisoned fort johnson and fort moultrie about five hundred regulars and three hundred militia under colonel thompson were stationed in some works which had been thrown up on the northeastern extremity of sullivan's island and the remaining troops were arranged on hadrell's point and along the bay in front of the town general lee remained in person with the troops at hadrell's point 
in the rear of sullivan's island his position was chosen in such a manner as to enable him to observe and support the operations in every quarter and especially to watch and oppose any attempt of the enemy to pass from long island to the continent a movement of which he seems to have been particularly apprehensive june twenty eighth british fleet repulsed at fort moultrie the british ships after taking their stations commenced an incessant and heavy cannonade on the american works its effect however on the fort was not such as had been expected this was attributable to its form and to its materials it was very low with merlons of great thickness and was constructed of earth and a species of soft wood common in that country called the palmetto which on being struck with a ball does not splinter but closes upon it the fire from the fort was deliberate and being directed with skill did vast execution the garrison united the cool determined courage of veterans with the enthusiastic ardor of youth general lee crossed over in a boat to determine whether he should withdraw them and was enraptured with the ardor they displayed they assured him they would lose the fort only with their lives and the mortally wounded breathed their last exhorting their fellow-soldiers to the most heroic defense of the place july fifteenth the engagement continued until night by that time the ships were in such a condition as to be unfit to renew the action on the ensuing day the bristol lost one hundred and eleven men and the experiment seventy-nine captain scott of the one lost his arm and captain morris of the other was mortally wounded lord campbell late governor of the province who served as a volunteer on board one of these vessels was also mortally wounded and both ships were so shattered as to inspire hopes that they would be unable to repass the bar about nine they slipped their cables and moved off a few days afterwards the troops were re-embarked and all farther designs against the southern colonies being for the present relinquished the squadron sailed for new york the attack on fort moultrie was supported by the british seamen with their accustomed bravery and the slaughter on board the ships was uncommonly great the loss of the americans in killed and wounded was only thirty-five men great and well-merited praise was bestowed on colonel moultrie who commanded the fort and on the garrison for the resolution displayed in defending it nor was the glory acquired on this occasion confined to them all the troops that had been stationed on the island partook of it and the thanks of the united colonies were voted by congress to general lee colonel moultrie colonel thompson and the officers and men under their command this fortunate event for such it may well be termed though not of much magnitude in itself was like many other successes attending the american arms in the commencement of the war of great importance in its consequences by impressing on the colonists a conviction of their ability to maintain the contest it increased the number of those who resolved to resist british authority and assisted in paving the way to a declaration of independence april transactions in new york even before the evacuation of boston it had been foreseen that new york must become the seat of war and that most important military operations would be carried on in that colony the fortifications which had been commenced for the defense of its capital were indefatigably prosecuted and after the arrival of general washington these works combined with those to be erected in the passes through the highlands up the hudson were the objects of his unremitting attention the difficulty which had been experienced in expelling the british from boston had demonstrated the importance of preventing their establishment in new york and had contributed to the determination of contesting with them very seriously the possession of that important place the execution of this determination however was difficult and dangerous the defence of new york against an enemy commanding the sea requires an army capable of meeting him in the open field and of acting offensively both on long and york islands congress had not adopted measures which might raise such an army the commander-in-chief in his letters to that body had long and earnestly urged the policy of bringing the whole strength of the country into regular operation the government was not inattentive to his remonstrances 
but many circumstances combined to prevent such a military establishment as the exigency required the congress which assembled in seventeen seventy five had adjourned with strong hopes that the differences between the mother country and the colonies would soon be adjusted to their mutual satisfaction when the temper manifested both by the king and his parliament had dissipated these hopes and the immense preparations of great britain for war evinced the necessity of preparations equally vigorous on the part of america the resolution to make them was finally taken but unaccustomed to the great duties of conducting a war of vast extent they could not estimate rightly the value of the means employed nor calculate the effects which certain causes would produce opinions of the most pernicious tendency prevailed for which they receded slowly and from which they could be ultimately forced only by melancholy experience the most fatal among these was the theory that an army could be created every campaign for the purposes of that campaign and that such temporary means would be adequate to the defence of the country they relied confidently on being able on any emergency to call out a force suited to the occasion they relied too much on the competence of such a force to the purposes of war and they depended too long on the spirit of patriotism which was believed to animate the mass of the people under these impressions the determination to form a permanent army was too long delayed and the measures necessary to raise such an army were deferred till their efficacy became doubtful it was not until june seventeen seventy six that the representations of the commander-in-chief could obtain a resolution directing soldiers to be enlisted for three years and offering a bounty of ten dollars to each recruit the time when this resolution could certainly have been executed had passed away that zeal for the service which was manifested in the first moments of the war had long since begun to abate and though the determination to resist had become more general that enthusiasm which prompts individuals to expose themselves to more than an equal share of danger and hardship was visibly declining the progress of these sentiments seems to have been unexpected and the causes producing such effects appear not to have been perceived the regiments voted by congress were incomplete and that bounty which if offered in time would have effected its object came too late to fill them it was not in numbers only that the weakness of the american army consisted in arms ammunition tents and clothes its deficiency was such as to render it unfit for the great purposes of war and inferior in all these respects to the enemy which it was destined to encounter but however inadequate to the object the regular force might be both the government and the commander-in-chief were determined to defend new york and congress passed a resolution to reinforce the army with thirteen thousand eight hundred militia for the defence of the middle colonies and for the purpose of repelling any attempt to land on the jersey shore it was resolved to form a flying camp to be composed of ten thousand men to be furnished by pennsylvania delaware and maryland the militia both of the flying camp and of the army of, at new york were to be engaged to serve until the first of december and the commander-in-chief was empowered to call on the neighboring colonies for such additional temporary aids of militia as the exigencies of his army might render necessary great and embarrassing as were the difficulties already noticed they were augmented by the disaffection of the city of new york and of the adjacent islands although governor tryon had found it necessary to take refuge on board some ships lying in the harbor he had been permitted to continue an open intercourse with the inhabitants which enabled him to communicate freely with the royalists and to concert plans of future cooperation this intercourse was broken off by the arrival of the commander-in-chief yet a plot was formed through the agency of the mayor to rise in favor of the british on their landing and as was understood to seize and deliver up general washington himself this plot had extended to the american army and even to the general's guards it was fortunately discovered in time to be defeated and some of the persons concerned were executed 
about the same time a similar plot was discovered in the neighbourhood of albany and there two executions were found necessary hitherto the sole avowed object of the war had been a redress of grievances the utmost horror had been expressed at the idea of attempting independence and the most anxious desire of re-establishing the union which had so long subsisted between the two countries on its ancient principles was openly and generally declared but however sincere these declarations might have been at the commencement of the conflict the operation of hostilities was infallible to profess allegiance and respect for a monarch with whom they were at open war was an absurdity too great to be long continued the human mind when it receives a strong impulse does not like projectiles stop at the point to which the force originally applied may have been calculated to carry it various causes act upon it in its course when the appeal was made to arms a great majority of those who guided the councils and led the forces of america wished only for a repeal of the acts of parliament which had occasioned their resistance to the authority of the crown and would have been truly unwilling to venture upon the unexplored field of self-government for some time prayers were offered for the king in the performance of divine service and in the proclamation of a fast by congress in june seventeen seventy five one of the motives for recommending it was to beseech the almighty to bless our rightful sovereign king george the third and inspire him with wisdom independence hall philadelphia in this unpretentious brick building erected in seventeen twenty nine to thirty four and intimately associated with the birth of the nation the continental congress met washington was made commander-in-chief of the american army in seventeen seventy five and the declaration of independence was adopted on july fourth seventeen seventy six and read to the people assembled in the street it is now a museum of revolutionary and historical relics measures leading to independence the prejudices in favour of a connection with england and of the english constitution gradually but rapidly yielded to republican principles and a desire for independence new strength was every day added to the opinions that a cordial reconciliation with great britain had become impossible that mutual confidence could never be restored that reciprocal jealousy suspicion and hate would take the place of that affection which could alone render such a connection happy and beneficial that even the commercial dependence of america upon britain was greatly injurious to the former and that incalculable benefits must be derived from opening to themselves the markets of the world that to be governed by a distant nation or sovereign unacquainted with and unmindful of their interests would even if reinstated in their former situation be an evil too great to be voluntarily borne but victory alone could restore them to that situation and victory would give them independence the hazard was the same and since the risk of everything was unavoidable the most valuable object ought in common justice and common prudence to be the reward of success with such horror too did they view the present war as to suppose they could not possibly receive the support of a free people the alacrity therefore with which the english nation entered into it was ascribed to a secret and dangerous influence which was with rapid progress undermining the liberties and the morals of the mother country and which it was feared would cross the atlantic and affect the principles of the colonists likewise should the ancient connection be restored the intercourse of america with the world and her own experience had not then been sufficient to teach her the important truth that the many as often as the few can abuse power and trample on the weak without perceiving that they are tyrants that they too not unfrequently close their eyes against the light and shut their ears against the plainest evidence and the most conclusive reasoning it was also urged with great effect that the possibility of obtaining foreign aid would be much increased by holding out the dismemberment of the british empire to the rivals of that nation as an inducement to engage in the contest american independence became the general theme of conversation and more and more the general wish the measures of congress took their complexion from the temper of the people 
their proceedings against the disaffected became more and more vigorous their language respecting the british government was less the language of subjects and better calculated to turn the public attention towards congress and the provincial assemblies as the sole and ultimate rulers of the country general letters of mark and reprisal were granted and the american ports were opened to all nations and people not subject to the british crown may six at length a measure was adopted which was considered by congress and by america in general as deciding the question of independence hitherto it had been recommended to particular colonies to establish temporary institutions for the conduct of their affairs during the existence of the contest but now a resolution was offered recommending generally to such colonies as had not already established them the adoption of governments adequate to the exigency mr john adams mr rutledge and mr richard henry lee all zealous advocates for independence were appointed a committee to prepare a proper preamble to the resolution the report of these gentlemen was accepted and the resolution passed may fifteen the provincial assemblies and conventions acted on this recommendation and governments were generally established in connecticut and rhode island it was deemed unnecessary to make any change in their actual situation because in those colonies the executive as well as the whole legislature had always been elected by themselves in maryland pennsylvania and new york some hesitation was at first discovered and the assemblies appeared unwilling to take this decisive step the public opinion however was in favor of it and finally prevailed the several colonies now contemplating themselves as sovereign states and mingling with the arduous duty of providing means to repel a powerful enemy the important and interesting labor of framing governments for themselves and their posterity exhibited the novel spectacle of matured and enlightened societies uninfluenced by external or internal force devising according to their own judgments political systems for their own government with the exceptions already stated of connecticut and rhode island whose systems had ever been in a high degree democratic the hitherto untried principle was adopted of limiting the departments of governments by a written constitution prescribing bounds not to be transcended by the legislature itself the solid foundations of a popular government were already laid in all the colonies the institutions received from england were admirably calculated to prepare the way for temperate and rational republics no hereditary powers had ever existed and every authority had been derived either from the people or the king the crown being no longer acknowledged the people remained the only source of legitimate power the materials in their possession as well as their habits of thinking were adapted only to governments in all respects representative and such governments were universally adopted the provincial assemblies under the influence of congress took up the question of independence and in some instances authorized their representatives in the great national council to enter into foreign alliances many declared themselves in favor of a total and immediate separation from great britain and gave instructions to their representatives conforming to this sentiment june seventh thus supported by public opinion congress determined to take this decisive step and on the seventh of june a resolution to that effect was moved by richard henry lee and seconded by john adams the resolution was referred to a committee who reported it in the following terms resolved that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states and that all political connection between them and the state of great britain is and ought to be totally dissolved june twenty eighth this resolution was referred to a committee of the whole in which it was debated on saturday the eighth and monday the tenth of june it appearing that new york new jersey pennsylvania delaware maryland and south carolina were not yet matured for the measure but were fast advancing to that state the debate was adjourned to the first of july when it was resumed in the meantime a committee was appointed to prepare the declaration of independence which was reported on the twenty eighth of june and laid on the table on the first of july the debate on the original resolution was resumed the question was put in the evening of that day 
and carried in the affirmative by the votes of new hampshire connecticut massachusetts rhode island new jersey maryland virginia north carolina and georgia against pennsylvania and south carolina delaware was divided and the delegates from new york having declared their approbation of the resolution and their conviction that it was approved by their constituents also but that their instructions which had been drawn near twelve months before enjoined them to do nothing which might impede reconciliation with the mother country were permitted to withdraw from the question the report of the committee was put off till the next day at the request of mr rutledge of south carolina who expressed the opinion that his colleagues would then concur in the resolution for the sake of unanimity july two the next day south carolina did concur in it the votes of pennsylvania and delaware were also changed by the arrival of other members congress then proceeded to consider the declaration of independence after some amendments it was approved and signed by every member present except mr dickinson independence declared july four this declaration was immediately communicated to the armies who received it with enthusiasm it was also proclaimed throughout the united states and was generally approved by those who had engaged in the opposition to the claims of the british parliament some few individuals who had been zealous supporters of all measures which had for their object only a redress of grievances and in whose bosoms the hope of accommodation still lingered either too timid to meet the arduous conflict which this measure rendered inevitable or sincerely believing that the happiness of america would be best consulted by preserving their political connection with great britain viewed the dissolution of that connection with regret others who afterwards deserted the american cause attributed their defection to this measure it was also an unfortunate truth that in the whole country between new england and the potomac which was now become the great theatre of action although the majority was in favour of independence a formidable minority existed who not only refused to act with their countrymen but were ready to give to the enemy every aid in their power it cannot however be questioned that the declaration of independence was wise and well timed the soundest policy required that the war should no longer be a contest between subjects and their acknowledged sovereign End of chapter 4